You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll unpack the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Hey there, I would like to welcome everyone to Legally Blissed Conversations and a very warm welcome today to Gillian Dumas. Gillian is a litigation attorney at her own firm, Dumas and Vaughn. She and her law partner represent survivors of child sex abuse and adult sexual assault. Their office is in Portland, Oregon. Most of their cases are on the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest, but they handle cases across the country. In her 30 years of practice, Gillian has worked as a defense attorney at a larger firm, a freelance attorney doing commercial and real estate litigation, a partner at a small firm, and now the owner of her own law firm. She's also <laughs> an active in her active in her community and the author of a popular book blog, Rose City Reader. Gillian, welcome. Thank you so much for being here and for hanging out with me today. I'm so excited to learn more about you and about your journey and um, your inspiring story. Well, thank you, Susie. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so why did you go to law school? Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, I knew you were going to ask that because I have listened to your podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hard hitting <laughs> questions here, right? Hard right. But, uh, you know, I joked that it was for vocational training, but it was, uh, I was an English lit major and I did, but I didn't want to be a professor or a teacher. And so uh, I did want to go to law school. One of the books I read was Paper Chase, which if people are old, as old as me, they will recognize. And it was about law school and it just sounded fun. And I liked the idea of being a lawyer because I liked how each each case is a story in itself, not just the backstory of the case that that you know brought the the lawsuit into fruition, but also the lawsuit itself is a story. Um, so that appealed to me, and and law school itself sounded like a challenge and and fun. So I went to law school, and I I liked law school better than undergrad. I I I sort of found my way in law school and I found my um my people there it was you know I just I loved I loved the the intellectual challenge of it and how it made logical sense out of the complicated intellectual subjects I, I just loved it so um it was good it was a good choice for me that's awesome so when you graduated from law school what was one of your first uh careers I went straight, I mean, I did straightforward law school path. I worked um, during law school. I didn't work during classes, but I uh, worked in the summers, like the first summer I worked at the courthouse being a courtroom clerk. And then the 
uh, after second year, I clerked at a big firm doing the summer internship thing. And then right after law school, I, <clears throat> I went straight to work. You know, I interviewed at different firms and I went to work for a big mainstream firm. I think it wasn't, um, it, it had been a huge firm that went through a blow up and turned into a big firm and a medium-sized firm. And I went to the medium-sized firm and I worked there for about six years mm -hmm. until um, until I just couldn't handle the big firm environment anymore. Mm -hmm. But it was a great learning curve. One that I still recommend for new lawyers if they, if they want that kind of you know, intense training program that you can get at a, a big firm. I learned, I learned everything. The firm I went to, because it had spun off from this big firm, it was, it was a group of lawyers who were together because they liked each other or felt loyalty to each other, but their business model made no sense. None of their practice areas matched. I mean, they had no practice areas. I, I always joke that they did everything from admiralty to workers comp. And, and so I did all kinds of work. They had only partners, no associates. I was the first associate they hired. And I did everything truly from admiralty, timber trespass, employment cases on both sides, personal injury on both sides. Um, but I learned so much. Yeah. Um, and not not just not just um different kinds of law, but how to work with different kinds of clients, you know, uh business clients personal injury clients, insurance companies, they all have different needs and you have to know how to recognize those and talk to them about them, you know, to, to, so that they know that you're in their corner. And that was invaluable for the rest of my career. Uh, so, so I appreciate all of that. And I appreciate getting to see that being a lawyer is really a business and you have to appreciate that from the get-go, um, are you not going to be able, is there going to be so many doors that are closed to you if you don't, you know, realize you've got to run a business as well as address your client's needs. You've got to be figure out a way to do both. And so I learned all that, but I also learned that I did not want to practice at any kind of big firm mm. ever. And so, um, so then I, that's, that's when I left. <laughs> so you well, was it specifically, if you can kind of put your, you know, specify it, like, what was it about the big law firm that you didn't like? The waste of time, <laughs> the, the, the time wasted. I wanted to practice law. I did not want to be in, you know, endless series of meetings about, you know, let's go on a, a firm retreat and spend three days trying to come up with a mission statement. You know, that is not... <laughs> I know there are there are people who like that kind of you know the firm management the administration the stuff it, it, a lot a lot of it has to get done a lot of it is just time wasting and I hated that especially as an associate where I was trying to meet billable hour requirements yeah. and do all that stuff and so all of those endless meetings about blah 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 it just killed me meetings and, about meetings <laughs> yeah meetings about meetings and it was just <laughs> killing me yeah. and um and also the you know every office has the the office intrigue and the office infighting and all of the office drama and that's just not for me i i am i i 
I don't get, I don't get into that. I don't get, yeah. it doesn't, it, it's not exciting for me. I, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, once I left that, I never went back or I tried to not go back and I, um, yeah. And that was, that was the right choice for me. You know, that's really interesting because those are the two big things. I, I kind of look back on why I left a firm and one of the reasons was I hated law firm politics, right? I just was mm -hmm. not into it at all. And I didn't think that I had really the capacity or the energy to deal with it. Um, and regarding yeah. <laughs> regarding the waste of time, um, I think that this is analogous in that I remember just wanting things to, to happen, like me wanting to do something that might've been a little bit more out of the box with business development. And mm -hmm. for, like for, I couldn't just go do the thing that I wanted to do, right? I couldn't say, hey, Susie, do you want to go do the thing? You know, will this work? Let's give it a shot. Like I had to go talk to, you know, the partner that I worked for and then the partner had to go talk to, you know, and then they had to wait for the next <laughs> meeting, right? So like it was in a way, like what you're saying, there was just such a waste of time there with, with moving things forward. So I definitely understand where you're coming from, um, you know, with those reasons for wanting to leave your firm. So oh, yeah. after you left, when you're like, okay, this is for the birds, what, what, yeah. what, what'd you do next? Uh, that's when I went freelance, which okay. seemed to me to give me what I, what I was looking for. So I just went freelance and I did that for about nine years, uh, both here in Oregon. And when we moved down to San Francisco, uh, my husband's also a lawyer and we moved down to San Francisco for his work for, um, about years. And so I did this freelance thing, which um, I would, I'd, I'd call it contract work, but that has a different connotation. I wasn't sitting in a room reviewing documents, sure. uh, which I think a lot of people do as contract lawyers, which, you know, you do what you got to do. I was more like um, law firms or lawyers would hire me to either fill in for a partner on sabbatical or on maternity leave, or just go take depositions or even second chair trial or just to write a summary judgment motion or an appellate brief or whatever. Um, and then our deal was always, whatever you're gonna bill me out at, you pay me half of that. Mm -hmm. And so it was a great gig. It was fabulous. And I was mostly working with small firms, occasionally some bigger firms, whoever need, whoever was willing to be really kind of entrepreneurial in that way. Um, Cause I, I just marketed it to anybody who was willing to use that model. And if they weren't, I said, fine, it's not, it's not for you. No big, no biggie. I'll move on. I had plenty of work to do. And it was a great way to do it. Cause I got to work with so many different firms, but never have to be in that office politic environment. Right. Um, you know, I could just, I, I never had to engage. I never had to go to any of the meetings. I never had to do anything. I just got to do my work and then move on. And, um, and so that really, I mean, that worked, that was fantastic. I also, I got to work half the time and make twice as much money as I did as an associate at a firm. So it, it was terrific. It was a terrific way to do it. And I know a lot of my girlfriends after talking to me did the same thing. I know, you know, eight or nine different lady lawyers who, who followed in my footsteps and, and did exactly what I did, which is great. A couple of them are still doing it. I don't know I don't know if it would still work. I mean, that was that was a while back, but I yeah. would assume it would. I always think there are so many different ways to practice law. You know, we don't all have to go into a box and and punch the clock like, you know, in, yeah. in a 
in a firm. There's so many different ways to do it. And that was a way that I just came up with because it was what I wanted. And I just found other lawyers who are willing to do it with me. I think you make a really good um, point there. Um, you know, that there are so many ways to practice law. There's so many ways to create your law firm. If you want to even, you know, maybe you don't want to do a law firm, right? Maybe you want to be freelance. So, yeah. I don't, so let's say that someone wants to be a freelance lawyer. Can I ask you, um, do you have any kind of bits of advice for growing kind of their book of business as a freelance lawyer? Well, sure. You could do, I mean, what I did was just, I first started with my own network and just asked them and just told them, do you need help with projects? This is what I have in mind. You know, if you're going to bill me out at X, you pay me half X. And yeah. And just until I found enough lawyers who were willing to do it, and then I never ran out of work. And, you know, if I occasionally thought I was getting slow, I'd just hit that email list again and say, do you have anything? Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't hard. I mean, that was that was really all it took. And, you know, when I moved to California and I didn't have a network and I didn't know anybody, I just started going through, you know, time martindale hubble i don't know what people use now but uh, the internet i suppose yeah. i'm just look, looking for small law firms that i could say i had some connection with like oh looks like you're from oregon i'm from oregon um you know i'm here's what i i just moved here i'm looking for work this is how i like to do it i have this experience and i could do this you know i could do summary judgment briefs go to depositions go to court for you and if you bill me out at x pay me half x <laughs> and I mean, again, a lot of people said like, oh, we never do that. Or, oh, we wouldn't do that. And then, you know, maybe five people say that. And one person says, sounds great to me. I need some help. And so if you get five no's, keep going because, keep, you are, yeah. Exactly. And maybe you get 10 no's, but you get one yes. And then that person keeps you busy for the next six months. You're set. And you get more work by referrals. And I think you make a really good point here that, you know, your your referral network is so important right your network is is absolutely unbelievably important so um you know if you want to do the freelance work i think it's i think it's still possible and there are i kind of feel like now there might you know rather than calling people up that you see in martindale hubble or whatever you know there kind of are these platforms that help people find attorneys who are wanting to do freelance work doesn't mean mm -hmm. you have to do that i mean all means call people up if that's what you want to do exactly I think, I think it's really cool that you know you're one thing that probably helped you in this space was the work that you did before even though you didn't love the big law firm environment you probably learned so many different areas of the law that it had to have been beneficial for you when you were out there kind of making those connections be like oh I can help you with this contract or yeah, that that did help because I could say like, oh, I've worked on a real estate trial or I, you uh, know, I second charity products liability case. Yeah. So I did have a lot of experience. And so, yeah, there's no doubt that that helped. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and I do think the way you market it and the way you package it is good. You don't tell people I want to be a contract attorney because then they plug you into that $25 an hour, $30 an hour document review. Document box. review. You know, no, you say I'm a freelance attorney and this is what I can do, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's all a matter of, of 
packaging and marketing and getting the right person to listen to you. Okay, this is, I'm finding this so inspiring because it is definitely just a different way of using your services, right? Like, I think some attorneys are like, well, if I'm not working at a big firm, medium firm or boutique firm, I have to go hang out my own shingle. I have to actually be a business owner, right? But there is something here in between that can be really beautiful for some people. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like now you have your own firm, Dumas and Vaughn. Why did you leave this freelance? Like, <laughs> um, yes, well, I'm curious about <laughs> like, the, the journey there, right? Right. Well, it did take quite a dog leg there. Um, so while I was doing the freelance, uh, we moved back to Portland. And literally, while we were in the car driving from San Francisco to Portland, I got a call from a lawyer friend of mine who I had done freelance work for on some commercial cases. And in the intervening years, he had gotten involved in doing the Catholic sex abuse cases up here in Portland. And he called me in the car and said that he had heard I was coming back to Portland and he had some Boy Scout sex abuse cases, Boy Scout LDS church, Mormon church cases. Uh, Would I work on them with him? And I said, well, Kelly, I don't, I've never done a sex abuse case. And he said, that doesn't matter. You're a good lawyer. You can learn the law. I just need your help. And I said, great, happy to. And so the next day I went in and we worked out our uh, deal. And um, those were contingent cases, which I hadn't done freelance work on contingency cases. So we worked out that I would actually work on them on a contingency basis with them. Um, which I was willing to do because again, I I have an entrepreneurial streak and and I think you have to if you're going to work freelance or work as a on your own, and so I um so I agreed to work on those cases with him and we worked on them together for three years. I did a few other things too to you know get some cash coming in, um but I worked on those pretty steadily with him that took up most of my time, and um. And three years later, we went to trial on the first one. And that was up here in Portland. And we ended up getting a $19.5 million verdict against the Boy Scouts for sex abuse. And that was the first, that was the first trial against the Boy Scouts that the court allowed in all of these um, internal files that the Boy Scouts kept on child molesters that they internally referred to as the perversion files. Um or and publicly referred to as the um as the ineligible volunteer files and the court let us uh use 1200 of those almost 1300 of those as exhibits to show the history of child abuse in the boy scouts and the and the jury got to look at those and that's why they once they saw those that that's when they awarded um 18 and a half million dollars in punitive damages oh yeah i got the verdict wrong it was 19.9 million yeah. Um, 18 and a half impunitives. What year was that? In uh, 2010. Right. 2010. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, of course, since I was working on a contingency, even though it took three years, that ended up being a good, good risk for me to take. Right. Um, and then we continued to work on those cases because there were eight of them all together in a group. We continued to work on those through that year. And then the Oregon Supreme Court ruled that those documents that had been used as exhibits, those perversion files, 
uh, needed to be made public. And the LA Times put them up on a website. And we ended up getting um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of calls from men who had been abused in the Boy Scouts for decades, going back to the you know 50s. And so that's when uh, that's when I became a partner at that firm um, because they said, well, okay, but you've been you did those earlier ones sort of on a freelance sort of we worked a deal with you case. But now that if you're going to be working on all of these, you actually have to come in and do all the stuff you don't want to right. do, like go to the meetings and yeah. run the firm and do all the administrative stuff you don't yeah. want to do. Um, so I agreed. And I did that for a couple of years. And then um, my poor partner, Kelly, died. And I couldn't believe it. So yes, so I did I did change. I went into this firm. I went into this small firm. I became a partner so I could work with Kelly on these Boy Scout cases. And then he died and he was only 56 and it was really horrible. Um, and then that's when my then associate, um, Ashley Vaughn, and I left that little firm with the abuse clients that we had and started our own firm. Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice. Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice, selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law? Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning, and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers, and acquisition events in their businesses. If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash bliss for an exclusive introduction. What a story. What a story. I <laughs> know, it was a lot. Yeah, so when are you going to write your book? Like, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like there's a book in the making here. I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we left eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, started um, at that time. It was yeah. Dumas Law Group. Ashley was still yeah. an associate. Um, and we've been doing nothing but um, cases representing adults who were sexually abused as kids Older. and some adult um, uh, victims of adult sexual assault. And uh mostly Boy Scouts, but also cases against the LDS church, the Catholic church, other churches, schools, private schools, some public schools, everything. Did you ever envision yourself being an attorney in this capacity when you came out of law school? No, but partly because that I got out of law school in 1992 and these, uh, you know, the Catholic church sex abuse scandal didn't break really until for almost 10 years after that. Yeah. So it, it wasn't really a thing, um, you know? And so, uh, no. So doing what I did, the mix of mostly commercial litigation and some employment and injury cases, that was, you know, it was, that was a solid litigation practice that put me in good, uh, you know, a good place to 
take on these sex abuse cases. Mm -hmm. But, but once they came around, um, you know, I was, I was sort of ready for it. It was, I was in the right place. We're ready for it. Right. Yeah. Kelly was in the right place. It, it all came together kind of perfectly. You, it was God's plan. It, I mean, I'm just sitting here kind of at all, like, or in all just thinking about that and how that all seemed to work out for you. Um, you love, I, I can tell that like you love storytelling. Um, you <laughs> are a voracious reader. Um, so if anyone, I will have your Instagram link on um, the show notes here, but I like <laughs> that you do like post, you know, your, I don't know. They're not technically shelfies, although you do have a beautiful shelf back there. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, if anyone is listening to this on a podcast, um, go look at, um, your or Gillian's um shelf it is just it is beautiful with all of your books but I'm curious about because the reason I'm talking about this is you know I want I'd love to know how you utilize storytelling and your love of stories in your in your practice what you do Uh, you know that's a great question because we always hear as litigators we always hear like oh you have to be a storyteller you have to tell a story and it is one of the hardest things to internalize and do but uh, one thing I ha- I try to do, at least, I don't know how well we do it, is to remember that, yes, you're writing a brief. It, yes, for the jury, it's a little bit easier because you, you're actually standing in front of them and, and talking to them and like a, you can tell them a story like a person. But also remember when you're writing a brief that the judge is a person, too, mm-hmm. and the judge wants to you know, the judge is just as moved by a good story as anyone. And so we've, I say we, me and Ashley, we we try when we write a brief to include in the facts section, not just, you know, our client was born in 1972 and in 1984 was molested by his, you know, high school math teacher. No, you know, like really like punch it up. Like you can write, like you're actually writing a short story, you know, like uh, I don't know. We started one where, you know, in seventh grade, Jane Doe gave a Mickey Mouse watch to her chemistry teacher because she thought he was her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. You know, Major that's how you start a good story. Yeah. Yeah. With you know, right there. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we try to like, we try to make even our briefs just have a little bit of those elements of good storytelling in them um, rather than plod through the facts in a chronological order. Any little nugget of advice to brief writers um, regarding storytelling? Well, that would be it. Punch up your facts section and make it read more like a story instead of just a chronology. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah. And then also, uh, you know, I mean, any, keep the, keep the brief as short as you can and the sentences short (laughs) and get get rid of your passive voice and Uh get, and do not, don't use the verb tense. I don't even know what it's called, but where it said like, he would drive around the corner and then he would enter his house and then he would do that. No. Ow. Drove. (laughs) <laughs> he drove the car he entered his house he picked up the phone you know what I mean yeah I don't know what yeah. that's called but it just drives me crazy and so many people write that way he would do something no he did it I don't care whether he would you know, do it a lot 
you know what it. It, yeah you know what I'm wondering if it's like maybe historically kind of been done that way right like you know how yeah. attorneys you know you look at older documents and it's 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 just too much right there's legally oh, yeah. flowery and it's difficult to read and all you know all oh, of yeah I, I call it Charles I, Dickens you don't want to you don't want to write a Charles Dickens brief exactly and it's very like art it's like an artifact I wonder if it's an artifact of the, that older style of writing I I, I don't yeah. know I know I've seen that before so that yeah. is we don't have to do it the, the way it's always been done so right. if, if you are writing a brief or anything like or a complaint a complaint right in opposition within trademarks right like so don't you don't have to always do it the way that it's always been done like make sure you understand why you're doing it that way and mm -hmm. if you feel like you have to do it that way ask yourself why like where are you, where are you getting that from because the chances are you know you may be able to do it a better way right in a exactly. more impactful way and the way that you are talking about your stories and you're able to hold a judge or a jury um that is not everyone can recreate that not everyone can do that so I think that's that's really cool and I'm I'm actually really glad I asked that question so <laughs> you're right that was a great question <laughs> so um let me ask you I don't I want to be very uh cognizant of your time when you look back on your career and let's go back to the day that I like to ask this question as well the day that you graduated from law school, um, you know, it's, you know, it's an exciting day, but it can kind of be nerve wracking. Like there's a lot of unknowns. I feel like that day that, you know, we, we get our um, diploma, if diploma, if you could give yourself any piece of advice or just some words of wisdom mm -hmm. uh, the day that you graduated from law school, like knowing what you know now, what would you tell your, your younger self? Put up with less bullshit. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Can we just title this podcast that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I mean, I, I, you know, I, every time I made a big change, I wish I had made that big change earlier. Yeah. You know, when I, when I left the, when I left the big law firm, I wish I had done it two years earlier. Mm. When I, when I left with our firm, and started my own firm with Ashley, you know, I should have done it a year earlier. I should have done it right when Kelly died, not try to make something out of the, the dog's breakfast that was left after he was gone, you know? And so when you know something is going bad, it's going bad. Just switch it, you know, don't, don't gut it out. Don't, don't think you can fix everything bad, which doesn't mean giving up on your clients. You know, it doesn't mean right. giving up on the work you're doing. It just means changing the bad work situation. If you're, if you're in a bad job, you're in a bad job. You know, you, 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 you know, you, it. you can't fix bad. Yeah. 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 And there are like, I go back to what I said, there's so many ways to practice law. You don't need to practice law in a way that makes you miserable. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So I wish I had put up with less bullshit and, and moved on that. quicker. I love that. Um, one other thing I want to, well, actually I've got two more questions. If you have just a couple more minutes, yeah. I, the, I also asked you at one point, um, what's kind of your mush share strategy or piece of advice for lawyers today. And 
I loved this feedback. And so I'm going to read this or okay. part, you're like, what did I fill out? No, what did I say? Oh my gosh. What did I say? <laughs> it was probably a few months ago and it's, it's, it's amazing. You said in the long run, a lawyer's best asset is her integrity. You build a reputation for integrity primarily by fulfilling the obligations you undertake. So if you say you're going to do something, you do it, get it done. If you can't deliver, don't take it on. Say no up front. The other main way to show your integrity is when you make a mistake. Admit it, apologize, take responsibility, work to make it right. Everyone messes up. No one likes an ass. <laughs> These two <laughs> things together are the simplest advice, but the hardest to practice consistently. Um, mm. yeah, like, I, I stick that? with that. <laughs> <laughs> You haven't changed your mind about the importance of integrity or um, any other thoughts about um, integrity and our uh, legal practices? No, but boy, both of those things, you know, do what you say you're going to do. And when you mess up, admit it and try to make it right. Those yeah. are, they are ongoing challenges. I mean, yeah. you, you, you never, that never gets easier. No, you have to do it every time. And Again, that comes back to my point, though, of then you got to eliminate everything else that is difficult about your work, you know, that so if it's the work environment has to be as easy as possible, because those two things are going to be difficult your entire career. Yeah, yeah, you know? it's hard enough, right? It's challenging it's hard enough. enough, yeah. It's if you've got bickering going on or politics and it's messing up your mental health, yeah yeah you got to be calm i mean i i dressed up for this this uh podcast because i'm on zoom here with you but i'm gonna go put on a sweatshirt and i'm gonna put on my (laughs) leggings and i'm gonna go to my office where it is the most casual place you can imagine you know my law partner brings her dogs in occasionally her cat we've got i mean we come to work in our gym clothes it is you know we we've got we it's kind of messy. We got donuts and snacks and whatever, you know, and we yell and swear. And it is the most casual office you've ever been in. I'm liking this off this office. You've got animals, you've got some swearing, you've got donuts. Yeah. I mean, why am I not on a plane right now? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, but that's what we want so that we can do yeah. the best work we can do because what is important to us is not a fancy office with a bunch of rules and and you know fancy stuff going on yeah we just want to be comfortable and do our work okay so i want to know what is next for you in your career and your practice uh well uh i keep you know working on these sex abuse cases and uh mostly i'm gonna concentrate on kind of getting Ashley up and running to take over more of the administration of the firm and the day-to-day stuff. So I can kind of step back from that. I, uh, is, is my goal. <laughs> and, uh, but that, that's about it. Uh, I'm, I'm perfectly happy where we are now. I hope to cut back on my hours a bit now that my husband has retired, Ooh. um, and spend a little more time with him. So my big goal is to just not, not work as much, but kind of move on to a dabbling phase. I love that. Many ways to practice law and dabbling is one of them. 
<laughs> so with that, Gillian, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I've absolutely loved um, speaking with you and learning about your journey. It's It's been fascinating. And I, I keep thinking about how like things don't stress so much in life, like things work out, like things generally work out. And at any mm -hmm. given moment, quit wrestling about the future because <laughs> if you if you let the universe work you're gonna always be exactly where you're supposed to be uh, oh one more question where can people find gillian oh well either at um the best place is to go to dumas and vaughn.com okay. which is spelled d-u-m-a-s like sam a-n-d v-a-u-g-h-n.com that's our law firm website or you can find my book blog at rosecityreader.com awesome awesome thank you so much my friend thank you Susie. this is very fun have a great day thank you so much for hanging out with us today on legally bliss conversations if you love this episode and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallyblissed.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Susie Nixon. See you next time.